Nick and Vanessa broke up. Did they? Yes. Thank God. <laughs> uh, that... Couple never made sense. No, the couple never, ever made sense. I still don't know why. Why did he pick her, do you think? The family thing. Like, that she was family-oriented, and that's what he was looking for. But, I but didn't she think that's lived what... in Canada. I, and was totally unwilling to move to the yeah. United States. And, like, I think that's what he convinced himself he was looking for, because he's, like, what, in his late 30s and needs to be an adult. Yeah. So he was like, I need to find someone who wants to settle down. Raven could have settled down but, and yeah, at least been yeah, funny. Yeah. Vanessa Although scene. Raven, when she showed up in Rachel's season, that time at the beginning, it was very good yeah. and very funny. However, Rachel's season. Did you watch the finale finally? <sighs> yes. Rachel, what you thinking? What? And like, I read a good piece that was like, why Peter is really the bad guy. And I was like, no, I disagree. Because I'm sorry, I'm going to take the side of the man who doesn't have cheek implants. <laughs> the man who has not been on other dating reality shows. Did you know, though, that Peter, in his high school yearbook, like, when you write down, like, what you want to do, like, your mm-hmm. senior, you know, senior plans or whatever, they ask you, like, yeah. okay, he was like, I'd like to be The Bachelor on ABC. Oh, that's really cute. <laughs> I hope he gets to be The Bachelor. I hope he gets to be it, too, but I don't know. Rachel really undercut him in that finale. Yeah, well... To me, it's just so much based around the confines in the context of the show. Yes. Right? Because, like, they filmed that show over, like, what, three weeks? Six at the six, most. Six at the yeah. very most. And, like, six weeks is not a long time to get to know somebody. No. And, and then, especially and not, not to propose marriage. Well, and you're... And let me be clear. The show might be six weeks at the most, but you're not spending full time no, with that one person no. over six weeks. That's not like you're spending every day with that person. No, you're seeing like, them, what, twice a week? I maybe think for Peter six weeks? said, we've been on three dates. Yeah. Like, I'm not ready to propose to And, like, you. he's right. Yeah. And, that, like, I like Rachel, and I've liked Rachel from the beginning. Sure. But I think she kind of bought into the structure of the show a little she too much. She did. Did you see her face when he proposed? And it was really more excitement over the ring. It was like... Those hideous Neil Lane rings. They're so bad. We're never going to get that Neil Lane sponsorship (laughs) now. Darn. Episode 135 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jensen, and nothing stays the same. And I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. Well, as you have begun to hear, we are doing things a little bit differently. That's such a creepy way to say it. (laughs) We're doing a little we're doing things a little differently today, <laughs> Clarice. So terrifying. Um, no, but change, change is, is not scary. Change is not scary, um, and we have so many exciting things to tell you about. Yes. Uh, first and foremost, we have a special new website. Yeah, Chris has worked so hard, even when he's not here. <laughs> even when he I've been doing other here. sad things, I have been. <laughs> Working hard on this, and so I want you to stop what you're doing, pause your podcast app, or not. I don't care. You can do two things at once. Yeah. (laughs) Um, If you're in the car, please wait until you stop. Um, Like like when you stop for gas, or pull over. (laughs) 
pull over right now and, and go, go to, to www.fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Legit. Legit. What can we find there, Annie? Oh, you can find full episodes of From the Front Porch. You can find show notes. Detailed show notes. Detailed show notes. You can find bios of me and Chris, a little bit of background on From the Front Porch, and extra reading material, and of course, links to the bookshelf and our online store. Our online store. And links to where you can listen and da- listen to and download from the front porch there's going to be some web only exclusive blog content i think yep um from time to time and there is also a link for something that says members only like a jacket i was gonna say just just like a jacket from the 80s um what can you find in there (laughs) well i think you will be able to find um more bonus content like deleted deleted snippets, uh, bonus episodes, including our new mini podcast. We have a new mini podcast that we're very excited about called Unpopular Opinions with Annie and Chris, which is something we joked about like (laughs) six or eight episodes ago. Um, And it's real and you can listen to it. It's happening. But there's a catch. We would love your Patreon support. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. We have been doing this for free forever and we're not asking for much. Um, and you don't have to give us anything. The show is free and will continue to be free. Yeah, we're um, not going to charge you for this show. We are definitely not charging you for this show. However, if you would like, if you like the work we're doing and would like to support us, because we are people <laughs> who, who, <laughs> who, do things. who do this for free, um, for the most part-ish, um, we would love for you to support us. And so we're going to have three different levals of membership. I think it's and $5 a month that you can sign up to give. And those will get you different levels of bonus, of of kind of reward content. Yeah. So we're calling these bonus episodes, and they are, but they're also just kind of rewards for you helping us out. Yeah. And we really did not want to... I mean, we do this for free, but we also know so many of our uh, our listeners are long-distance supporters of The Bookshelf. Right. So we did not want to, like, go overboard. This is really just, if you like listening to From the Front Porch and you feel so inclined, donate a dollar a month or $3 a month, and we'll reward you for that with extra content. With extra content. Um, so it's not a whole lot, but it means the world means, to us yeah. that you have stuck with us, that you are still listening to us, and if you want to kind of go that... Not even extra mile, that extra, you know, 30 feet across the room. Yeah. Um, we would so, so appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so you can find that where? You can find it at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Where you will also find a link to our Patreon site, which is patreon.com slash fromthefrontporch. Can you just tell them the names of the support levels? Because he came up with these and they Yes. The support levels are sweet tea, lemonade, and mint julep. <laughs> If you would I like to become it. a Mint Julep member, <laughs> you get all kinds of it. And I will have on the site what you can get and how to do it. That's all on the Patreon. Um, if you would like to become a Mint Julep member and earn all kinds of cool prizes and rewards for your support, it's just $5 a month. Yeah, I think it's good. I think it's worth it. I support a couple of podcasts via Patreon, and I'm always more than happy to do it um, because because it's... I mean, like, the podcast is my favorite podcast, and every Wednesday I, like, look forward to waking up because mm-hmm. I know I've got a new episode. So hopefully that's how we make you feel. Right. And if you're so inclined, a dollar, $3, or $5 a month, um, 
would help us out. Helps we'll, Chris keep pursuing that PhD. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> um, and probably maybe annually every six months or something, we'll do like a special thing. Oh yeah. Just for our subscribers, in addition to this stuff that's already there. Yeah. Um, we um, we really love you guys. Yeah. We it's do been, this for you. It's been such a fun community to watch grow. So mm -hmm. this is just kind of continuing that. And so thank you for bearing with us in this time of change. We hope that you are as excited about it as we are. We are excited. Fall means new things. So Fall means this new is a things. new thing. The old order dying and the promise of new growth in the spring. That's beautiful. I guess. <laughs> um, so what are we going to talk about this week? Okay, so we had a listener write in and really ask for an episode about um, books about football. Uh -huh. And so... You're not the world's biggest football fan. No. I am. Um, but we thought, okay, wait, I'm a football fan, but I'm a torn, conflicted football fan because okay. concussions. Okay, but, and and sexual assault. And I'm entirely unconflicted <laughs> for those same reasons. Um, however, we thought we would really do more than just football because that's not really Chris's wheelhouse, and we'd instead talk about books about campus life. Right, because college starts later in the year yeah, a little right bit now. than... Um, then like primary and secondary school, we did a back to school episode a few weeks ago, but this is kind of a different kind of back to school about yeah. college. Yeah. So, and honestly, those kind of, those types of books are some of my favorites. So we thought we'd do a rundown of our, kind of our favorite campus stories. Um, and then also, yeah, I'll throw in a couple about sports or about football as well. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah. Some of them we talk about a lot. Um, and recommend to customers all the time is The Secret History by Donna Tart. Yes. We both really love this book. I think for similar and overlapping and also very different reasons sometimes. Um, because every character in this book is just irredeemably terrible. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a feel-good novel. No. It's not a fun novel. Mm -hmm. It starts on the first page with a murder. Yeah. The first half of the book is kind of backtracking, backtracking and leading you up to that murder. The second half is the fallout. Yeah. Um, but the plot is basically that this kid, Richard Papin, comes to a new school. He transfers from somewhere in California, I believe. Or is that his cover story? I'm not sure. I don't remember, but he comes to this elite New England school um, and makes friends with these classics majors, and they decide that they're going to kill one of their classmates because he's annoying and terrible and also has some compromising information that they don't want to get out. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so good. It's so good it's and so rich twisted. and complex. Um, but yeah, twisted is a good word. Yeah. And this, like, if you Google, like, best campus stories or something, this always is it's at the always top of the, the list. It's always in the top, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a universally respected novel. If you haven't read it, so I read this because I didn't want to tackle The Goldfinch. Yeah. This, so I guess that was a couple years ago. And I was like, I'll just read The Secret History. And I loved The and Secret I, History. I read it about the same time. I thought it was so good and so compelling. And um, the characters are despicable. And I'm not saying you're rooting for them, but I, it, they weren't like despicable like I hated being with them. Right. They were like despicable like I wanted to know what happened. And I wanted them to be better. Yes. The whole time I was like, if you just made a slightly different decision there, everything could have been so much easier for yeah. everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's really compelling to me. Yeah. I super enjoy that book. I kind of think that Donna Tartt won the Pulitzer for The Goldfinch because she didn't win it for... Secret History, because was that the year that... No, it was a different year. I forget which one. 
I don't remember what one. Because it came out in 92. Yeah, because she takes forever in between her right. titles. Right, like which, 17 years yeah, or something like good that. Good for her. They're, yeah. <laughs> they're well done, so yeah. she's doing something right. Good for her. But that, to me, is like the epitome of the campus novel. And it's your... I mean, it's one of the only campus novels you have really read. Yeah, I don't... I don't read them a lot. Yeah, and Um, I wanted to talk about this. Yeah, we can. At first we were like, oh, do we have enough books for one episode? And luckily, this is a genre I enjoy, so I've got a little list. Yeah, and I have read a couple of these. But I think think for you, you're still, to some extent, living some of this. Yeah, exactly. Like, I work on a college campus. I am a graduate student. I don't take classes anymore, but I I teach classes to undergraduates, and... That's academia is still your world. It is still my world. I still live. I don't literally live on a college campus, but mo- a lot of my life takes place on college yes. campus, and so that's not. And not that I read for escape because I don't. Right. Um, but that's not something I particularly want to pursue in my leisure time. Yeah, I know? wondered just when it occurred to us that you didn't read a ton of these. I wondered if it was because you're still living it and experiencing it, and right. I, you know. I haven't, I haven't been in college in years, but I look back fondly yeah. on my years there. And You've got I, a, a kind of nostalgia for it. Yeah, there's certainly a romanticism yeah. to it. And I think I love reading books set on a college campus. Much, more, I think a high school is also really fascinating, but like I'm really drawn to college campus stories. I'm drawn to them in film, too. Yeah. I wrote down Liberal, liberal Arts. arts. Um, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago, too. The Josh Radner wrote and directed it, I yeah. think, and stars in it. Um, and it's about uh, Josh Radner, who plays Ted Mosby on How I Met Your Mother. Um, and he plays a, like a 35-year-old man who goes back to visit his college campus for like a funeral. Yeah, he goes back and he stays with his old professor. Right, and he meets like a 19-year-old girl there, played yeah. by Elizabeth Olsen. And they have kind of a weird romance slight romance and but also he's clearly just romancing his old his past right he's trying to trying to feel to get those feelings back how good it was when he was in college and everybody wasn't concerned with quote unquote real life and they could actually just pursue intellectual stuff and they weren't stigmatized for it yeah um and he's just kind of going about it in the wrong way right i really found that movie so fascinating it's good and so i think for the same reason i'm drawn to books that take place on campuses too so the one that immediately came to mind is one i finished pretty recently Mm -hmm. and it just came out a couple i think a couple weeks ago called shadow of the line right i was really excited about this one when you read it as an arc yeah and it's less college campus it's more boarding school Mm -hmm. campus um but kind of similar to the plot of liberal arts this uh 30-something, has obviously been outside that world for a long time, but struggles to find work and ultimately decides to become an English professor, mm-hmm. I believe, or an English teacher at his old boarding school, his old campus. But when he arrives, you know, all these memories come flooding back because his best friend from those years of his life uh, has gone missing mm. and went missing while they were still students at the school. Uh-huh. And so there's this element of intrigue and mystery, like, what happened? This kind of 20-year-old to, mystery. Yeah, what happened to my best friend? Um, and being on this campus obviously obviously digs all that up and what is this campus hiding? And so and then yeah, there's some nostalgia there, but it's also mostly this guy trying to come to terms with what happened when he was in high school kind of thing. Mm. Um, 
So less a college experience, but because it's got that boarding school element, it feels college campus kind of Back to campus. Yes, kind of thing. like yeah. return a return to mm-hmm. to to his past. Um, Those are always fun. I just yeah, I thought it was so good. The ending, I had opinions on, sure. but the book itself overall, and especially it's a debut. It's a debut. Yeah, and so it's solid. It's solid. Yeah, really enjoyable, especially if this is your your genre, like it's mine. And you have on your list here, and this is one that I've actually read too, a separate piece, which is another boarding school book. Yep. Um, it's old. It's a, it's a, I wouldn't call it a classic, but I also wouldn't call it a modern classic. So it's somewhere in between there. I was about to say. It's a classic. I think I call it a classic. I don't know what year it I don't remember out, the exact date, but I want to say 50s maybe, yeah. around the time of Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. Um, it's a very good book. I read it in high school. And I remember not loving it while I was reading it, but when it was over, I had some like feelings about it. Yeah. Um, I also remember it being, and this says just a lot about my sensibility at the time, I remember it being very slow and talky mm-hmm. and not a lot of like set pieces, not a lot of plot, um, just a lot of character development, which now is say, what now I like. Yeah. Now I should go back and read that because I don't have a great memory of it other than like the main like death and climax of yeah. the book. I so I did not read it in school. Mm-hmm. It never came up on reading lists for me and so I never read it. And then probably either in college or right out of college, I think it was while I was in college, I was like browsing Barnes and Noble and I was like, this is a book I've never read and should have. So I bought it and I think because I read it when I did, I wound up loving it maybe right. even more than I would have if I'd read it while I was in school. Um, I adore this book. I'm mentally processing that I think I think for a while somebody had it shelved in our chapter book section and that is not what this is. No, that's not what it is. <laughs> um, so I'm mentally thinking, did we move that? But we did. Um, <laughs> Good. So yeah, I think we had it back there because it's a popular summer reading yeah. title. Um, but it's not for middle grade readers. No. This is high school. And then I honestly think college age might even enjoy it more. Um, but I... I loved this book, but it reminded me a lot of uh, Dead Poets Society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then, interestingly, it also really reminds me... Did you ever read... We talked about this before. John Green's Looking for Alaska. No. Okay. I know YA isn't your genre. It's not always mine, but I do appreciate what John Green does. I think mm-hmm. we've talked before. A lot of his books have very similar characters, right. very similar themes. Um What it, was the cancer one? Uh, the Fault in Our Fault Stars. Fault in Our Stars. I read that one. I've I have a lot of negative feelings about that one. Deep antipathy, I might even say. But I've heard that Looking for Alaska is maybe his best one. Yeah, Looking for Alaska, I think for sure, is his best one. I like a lot of what he does. Mm-hmm. But I also acknowledge he does a lot of the same things. Yeah. So his characters are quirky, um, you know, complicated, smart-talking teenagers. Which I'm sure is realistic to some extent, but it just feels like they're not... Sometimes it feels like they're not realistic. Right. Like sometimes it feels like they're romanticized. And a they bit. feel to the to some point predictable and not actually interesting because he has written them to be interesting in a particular way. Yes. But Looking for Alaska is his first book. I think it's his best. I did not have strong uh, hateful feelings toward the Fall in Our Stars. I did read it long before yeah, yeah. the hype. But Looking for Alaska takes place in an Alabama boarding school. And he wrote about Alabama so well. And then I realized he grew up partly in Alabama. Okay, cool. And maybe went to school in Birmingham or something like that. So not everybody writes about Alabama well. And that's fair because Alabama can feel cliche. Right. Um, But 
he wrote so beautifully about boarding school life and about the friendships, and it reminds me also of a separate piece. So a couple weeks ago when we were like clumping books together, mm-hmm. um, these are books that I feel like do talk really oh, beautifully sure. to each other. Um, and if you haven't read Looking for Alaska because you feel ambivalent toward John Green, I totally get it, but try Looking for Alaska yeah. because I think it was one of those books that really was worth all the hype. I never read it when it first came out because it was like past my right, young yeah. adulthood. Um, but yeah. I, I thought it was excellent. So And I do want to be clear, I like John Green as a person. Oh yeah, um, he's phenomenal. I think he's great. Um, he's a proponent of indie bookstores. Yeah. Um, no. And I like his web presence a lot. I just don't love that one book that I read. Right. So and you don't have and to. And I don't have to. And I'm not going to apologize for it. And I'm also not going to tell you you shouldn't like it. That's right. Um, another one that people tell me that I would like all the time is The Art of Fielding. You would like this book. I know. Book. And it's I own so it. Good. Part of the problem, at least when you start working here, is there's not a lot of time to read backlist. Nope. And so I think the art, uh, the art of fielding would fall under that category. Yeah. It's one of those books that I read, I think, uh, when I worked at Bookshelf Midtown. So I have super fond memories just of where I was when I read it for the first time, mm-hmm. but for sure has undertones of secret history. Yeah. Um, so if Separate Peace and Looking for Alaska have the same themes, Art of Fielding and Secret, and secret History have the same themes. Um, it gets its title from a book in the book mm-hmm. called The Art of Fielding. Uh, baseball plays a big role in this book. Mm-hmm. But, but it's I, not a baseball book. No. Like, right. I hate when people describe it as such because it's really not. Baseball is just kind of a... Um, Set dressing. Yeah. And it's an important one. Like, it's it's fun that there's that element added to it. Mm-hmm. But it's not a book that, like, only baseball fans are going to like. Right. Um, so our listener who was asking about football books, um, if there w- was a book like... Art of Fielding about football. I would put it on this list, but there's not. So there's The Art of Fielding, which ties in baseball um, in a really, really interesting way. And again, has some of those elements of coming back mm-hmm. to a campus. Um, it's so good. It's so good. I know. One day I will read it. And I, I have been looking forward to it for years and years and years. But you know. It's hefty looking too. Yeah. Um, but it's a quick... It's size makes you think it's going to take you forever to read it. But it's one of those can't put down type novels gotcha. so if um it may be a book i feel like if you were an avid reader when it came out you probably read it but if you weren't at the time it's probably one of those you've missed because like i don't think a lot of people still stock it right um i think we do occasionally because i like it um but if you ever find a copy of the art of fielding or if you purposely check it out from your library or something like that i think it's worth a read for sure absolutely well, another one you've talked about before is prep by curtis sittenfeld yes Prep, did I ever tell you the story? So we went to D.C. a couple of summers ago. Mm-hmm. I think right before you started working yes. here. And I, we had been, we somehow stumbled upon this gorgeous boarding school campus. Mm-hmm. And like we wandered, you know, looked around. I Googled it to read all the Wikipedia about it. Like, you know, basically senators' children go there and stuff right. like that. And then they said, oh, the book Prep by Curtis Sittenfeld is based on this campus. And so I was like, great, I'm going to go read that book. So I checked that book out from the library, maybe even bought it from the bookshelf when I got back. Started reading it, was like 50, page in, 50 pages in and realized, I've read this. <laughs> like, but it took me, because I read so many things. Right. And I realized, oh, like years ago, I checked this out from the library and read it and loved it. But I was like, why does this sound familiar? Oh, I've already, I've already read, read this, this book. <laughs> um, 
But I adore prep. I think Curtis Sittenfeld is very talented. And all our other books kind of have male protagonists and male leads. Prep has female protagonists and female leads. Um, Prep and Commencement, which is a book by J. Courtney Sullivan. Curtis Sittenfeld and J. Courtney Sullivan sometimes remind me of one another in their writing styles. Um, Obviously, they're different women, different writers, different books. But I feel like they do complement each other really well. And so Commencement and Prep. Commencement is about, um, I think it's four women who went to Smith. Okay. Um, so Emily, yeah. uh, one of our regular podcast guests, went to Smith. So Emily, if you're listening to this, you might try Commencement if you haven't already. Um, but Commencement and Prep are both excellent. Prep goes back to that boarding school type thing, and then Commencement is more about a college campus. Um, Have you watched Friends from College? Yes. What did you think? I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people loathed it. Yeah. I didn't understand the loathing of it. No, because I don't think it was incredibly well constructed. No. Um, I thought the performances were fine and funny. I thought the performances were great. Mm-hmm. Give me Fred Savage all day, every day. Yeah. I Fred Savage was great. I adore him. I love Keegan Michael Key he, a lot. I do too. Playing kind of a not great character. Yeah, he plays a schmuck. Mm-hmm. And they're all schmucky. Oh, yeah. That's I think the that's thing. the thing. But I feel like I read some reviews of the show that were like, these are all terrible people doing terrible things. It's like, and well, Yes. Like, yeah. Someone the somebody I follow on Twitter said it was Billy Eichner doing nice things for bad people for oh. six episodes <laughs> and then two episodes without him. And I was yeah. like, yeah, no, that's accurate. Yeah, that's true. I but I didn't have the loathing for it because again, if you put college in the title of anything, right. I'm going to watch it. Which is why I bring it up because yeah. we're talking about this kind of nostalgia for college, this nostalgia for like a different time in our lives, and that show is also kind of about that. Yeah. Where it's like these, what five or six friends. Um, who went to college together and now it's 20 years later and they're still friends and they hang out, which like, hashtag goals. Yeah. Um, that's what I want from my college friend group because we still talk. We just don't... Just with proximity. We don't like, live in the same place. How does everybody live near each other but New York? Uh, but also, I don't want my relationship relationship with my friends to be anything like the ones in that show. No. Oh, it's um, so... At all. It's so unhealthy. <laughs> yeah, their it's toxic. But I think that's what... I mean, and Billy Eichner plays the audience, I think, yeah. in looking around like, you guys are what insane. What is wrong right? with you? <laughs> Um, and he even calls them out like, you are trying to like relive 20 years ago and it doesn't make any sense because you're not the same people anymore. Right. And that's, man, that's hard for me to accept sometimes. Yeah. And I think it's very hard for those characters to accept. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it falls into that if you liked liberal arts, try yeah. Friends from try College. Try Friends from College. I don't think it's great, but I don't think it's terrible. I don't think it's terrible. And it did get picked up for a second season. Oh, did it? Mm-hmm. I wondered. Um, yeah. I enjoyed that. I you know I finished all six episodes in like a day. Yeah. So it I think it's eight. It wasn't like a huge. Eight or six or eight, but yeah, yeah no, I did it too. A I watched huge it. I had the day off or something, and I was like, I don't feel like working. Yeah, let me just watch this. Um, and they're short too, they're like half hour. Yeah. Um, Easy. Okay, as far as football is concerned, because I do want to speak to that yeah. listener request a little bit. The one that both of us immediately thought of, and we've talked about it many times, mm-hmm. is Tribal by Diane Roberts. Diane Roberts is a professor at Florida State. I took her nonfiction writing workshop a couple years ago. She is wonderful and so funny, regular contributor to the Tallahassee Democrat and the Tampa Bay, whatever newspaper that is. She's a treasure. She's going to be um, leading a book club discussion at local Thomas University mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks. And I emailed Thomas University. I was like, you guys scored. <laughs> She's so good. Yeah. Um, did you ever read Tribal? Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember if you read it yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or not. Um, I love this book. It's super good. Of course, if you're from our neck of the woods, then it will be more interesting to you because she specifically talks quite a bit about Florida State, mm-hmm. Florida State football. Um, 
But it's really for fans of all kinds. Yeah. And what I love about it, she covers a wide range. I mean, she talks about Alabama football. Like, it's all a wide range of teams. But I also really appreciated that she is approaching football like I do, which is she has grown up to be this fan. Her parents were fans. Like, she is used to attending games. She loves going to games. And she writes about that without apology, like right. that she loved those things, still loves those things, but that now her love is flawed. And, you know, she writes about it from the perspective of a professor at a major football university. Right. She writes about it from the perspective of a fan who doesn't know to, what to do when um, players continually get injured and hurt and risk their lives for this dumb, dumb game. game. Um, and then she also writes about the role sexual assault plays on campuses and how often athletes are involved in those um, accusations and often realities. And so I really loved... And talked about some of the money aspect too. Yes. uh, Yes. She talks about the financial, what what a university can gain by having, you know, a really great football team and what a university spends to have a great football team. Mm -hmm. It is fascinating, but it's... Like, it's never boring. Nope. She writes it's about so it funny. in such a funny way. When we, you and I, I think, attended a couple, at least, yeah. of books, Several. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and so we heard her read from this book multiple times. And every time, I was so entertained. And yet, I also knew I could gift it to my dad, yep. who went to Florida State and who is an FSU fan. Um, and I knew he wouldn't get offended right. He would because he agrees with her. Like, there are some serious flaws in the system. Yeah. Um, and she's not saying football is wrong. She's saying no. sometimes the way we think about football is wrong. Yes. And she compares it to religion. I mean, uh-huh. which if you live in the South, which I for so long didn't consider Tallahassee the South, and it's certainly not uh, compared to where I spent some time in Alabama and stuff like that. But compared to where I grew up, it most certainly is. Yeah. And, and we talk a lot here, and I think it's important to acknowledge the South is a really flawed place. Uh-huh. But that doesn't mean we leave it. Like, that doesn't mean I move. Uh, It means I can stay and try to make it better. Mm -hmm. I can ask questions. Mm -hmm. And I think the same is true of maybe being a football fan. And maybe I get to stay a football fan, but I approach it with a little more nuance and maybe some questions. Um, But if you grew up in the South, football is a type of religion. And people are on the countdown here, man. Like, I think next Saturday are first games. And, like, people are pumped. So... Um, by the time this comes out, maybe the first games will have already happened. But anyway, to our listener who was looking for football-specific uh, type books, I think Tribal, regardless of if you have FSU connections, yeah, or no, it's not. That doesn't matter. I mean, it, it talks about FSU, but the book's not about FSU. No, the book is just about football in general. Yeah. Um, and I think the title is really apt, not just because yes, Florida State Seminoles, but also. A couple years ago, another book about being finding your tribe right. came out, and like football fans are a tribe of yep. people uh, unto themselves. Like the culture is completely and unique. each each team, yes, each team's fans have their own little like rituals and things, and these, um, I want to say inbred. That's not totally right, but like <laughs> these inherent like rivalries that, yeah. and they the football fans always talk about we. It's always this collective first yes. person as if they actually did anything yes. other than watch from a sports bar. Sorry, my. <laughs> Cynicism is showing? I wouldn't say cynicism. (laughs) I would say measured criticism. Um, But I think it's warranted. Yeah, it's warranted. But I will say we live in a culture right now where it feels like everybody is pit against one another. Which is what I hate. But for real reasons. Right. And so sometimes I think it's nice to like be a part of a team and root for something because 
otherwise we're drowning in see and for me i hate that we're pit against each other in real life situations and then our leisure time is to pit ourselves against each other in in sport yeah Um, i think it just encourages this bloodlust and i hate it Hate it. Chris is not a fan. I hate rivalry. I hate conflict. I love rivalry. And so I think it's really fun to go watch a game or to root, you know, for your team while somebody else is rooting against your team. Um, but I think Tribal addresses all of it those. It does. I think she really addresses both of those kind she of really does. kind of fighting impulses. Um, so Tribal would be a great a great place to start. Um, I think another one in that vein is Steve Almond's Against Football. He mm-hmm. comes at it from the perspective of a lifelong football fan who has now begun to confront some of the realities of like these people are getting injured it's causing traumatic brain injury people are 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 being sexually assaulted and not being able to really stand up because these players especially on college campuses are celebrities and they they can get away with murder sometimes literally and football is so different for whatever reason than baseball or basketball like it's a very different obviously different type of sport different type of contact sport but for whatever reason it also breeds a different type of attitude i feel like than than basketball i mean we've talked before jordan and i talk all the time about the guys on campus we were way more inclined to be friends with basketball players i like basketball yeah so it's just it's just really interesting and and speaking of tribes i just have to laugh because so i grew up obviously living in tallahassee going to florida state football games and then I moved to Alabama to go to school, not at University of Alabama. Um, but while in Montgomery, went to Auburn, went to Tuscaloosa for football games. And I, will, I just have to say that the experience, and it may be different at FSU now, but the experience when I grew up, you went to a Florida State football game, it's hot. So you wore shorts and FSU t-shirts, like mm-hmm, FSU, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, FSU garnet and gold, like that was what you wore. I bought an Auburn t-shirt to go to an Auburn football game uh, because Jordan grew up an Auburn fan. And so I went with him and some, some of our friends to an Auburn game while living in Montgomery. And I got there and all of the girls were in beautiful, like orange and blue, like beautiful dresses and per- literal pearls. And I was in like my shorts and Auburn t-shirt because I thought that's what we wore to football games. <laughs> Tribal. And it, yes. And that, I remember when Diane Roberts was like um, reading aloud a section of her book, mm-hmm. that scene came back to me because I remember walking in thinking, but wait, I bought the shirt. Like, <laughs> wait, I'm one of you. I bought the shirt. And then I look around and nobody's wearing Auburn t-shirts. Right. Like even Jordan, I think Jordan was because Jordan wears t-shirts all the time that's what he does but like jordan's dad doesn't wear auburn t-shirts he wears orange polo shirts Mm -hmm. my dad yeah like wears garnet polo shirts but like fsu it's t-shirt like it's just so funny like that's a different it's a culture culture. it's a culture and i find that fascinating so anyway interesting um if you want the fiction route the one and only um is it one and only yes one? one and only okay by emily giffen so I like Emily Giffen. I don't read a ton of her books anymore, but for a while they were a nice reprieve for me, like Mm -hmm. a nice break. But I actually think The One and Only is one of her best books, and it takes place in Texas. Um, I believe the young woman goes back to work in the athletic department, but I think she used to go to school there. So you get to learn a lot about Texas football culture. 
And working for the athletic department and being a woman working for the athletic department, as I recall, was really fascinating. Um, when I started working here, that was one of the first books I read. And I remember a woman came in and asked me what I was reading. And I pointed that out because I thought back then that that's what that question means. Mm-hmm. But it's not what that question means. <laughs> that question really means, what do you recommend for me? Uh-huh. And so the woman was very disappointed that I picked out an Emily Giffen book for her. I did not pick out an Emily Giffen book that's for just her. What you that's were what I was reading. That being said, as long as you're not going to turn your nose up at semi-chiclet, uh, I use that term tongue-in-cheek, but um, I think the one and only is one of her one and only is one of her best books, and really writes she really writes well about Texas football culture, which is its own thing. So yeah, absolutely. So that's another. A fictional option since tribal is very soundly nonfiction. Yeah, for better or worse. <laughs> for better or worse, absolutely. Uh, I think that. That's I a, think that that's a wrap. I think that that might be a wrap. Should we segue into this new credits section? Yes. is a production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in downtown Thomasville, Georgia. It's produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen, and edited, thank the Lord, by Chris Jensen. If you're interested in purchasing any of the books we've talked about in this episode, you can do so at www.bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash shop. Our intro and outro music is Bottom of the Barrel by Forlorn Strangers. From their album, Forlorn Strangers, you can learn more at forlornstrangers.com. And if you'd like to support From the Front Porch on Patreon and gain access to exclusive bonus content, check us out on patreon.com slash fromthefrontporch. You can also check out our website at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com for web-only content and a full back catalog of our show with detailed show notes and links to further reading. This week in the bookshelf, we heard a little girl say, Mommy, can we go to Poverty Frenzy? <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Buildings that are crumbling There's a lot of pretty people Whose eyes can't see Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god